0: Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. In the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John this morning. I'm going to uh, put aside our um, character sketch series this morning and want to uh, just share some truth about the Lord's table with you as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. It's always good, I think, uh, to fashion the service around the Lord's table, not just tag it on at the end of a service. And so uh, I try to, uh, when we come to the Lord's table, spend that time preparing my heart and everything that we do around that time, because I am convinced that the Lord, when we think about the Lord's table, he wants us to come. He wants us at his table. Amen. And uh, he uh, has designed this Lord's Supper as an opportunity for us to reflect on his sacrifice for our salvation, for our sin And it's a good reminder that when we think about the bread and the cup, that it costs Jesus everything for us, although it costs us nothing, amen? Isn't that awesome to know? It's good to know that he would love us enough that he would leave the bounty of heaven, the oneness with the Father to become humanity to live a sinless life, to ultimately die on a cross. You realize that it says in the Bible that those who die on a cross are cursed. And he would do that for you and for me. And he would even at one point on that cross cry out, my, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? When he bore your sin and my sin in his own flesh, he and the father for the first time were separate. That blows my mind. Why would he do that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Motivated by the love of God. And so when we come to the table this morning, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus and we remember the fact of God's love for us. And we'll tag some more on as we go along. John chapter 6 is an awesome text. If you got time, I would say go home today. And read the whole of John 6. I don't have time to preach the whole of John 6 today because if I did, we would be here probably till tomorrow morning. uh, In order to look at every verse in its detail. And uh, I don't want to keep you that long. So, you say amen to that, right? So, John 6 begins with a miracle. The Lord Jesus Christ goes up onto the mountain... And he's on this mountainside and all these people are following Jesus. You can remember in John 5, or maybe you don't remember, Jesus does a lot of healing of diseases and that began to multiply the crowds that would follow him. And so Jesus goes up into the mountainside with his disciples and all these throngs of people are following him. In Mark's gospel, Jesus looks out on this multitude of people and he said he had compassion on them. And so he turns to Philip and says, Philip, Where are we going to get enough food to feed all these people? And Philip says, you know, Jesus, uh, we don't have the the offerings big enough to feed all these folks. It would take 200 denarii worth of bread to feed them, a lot of money in the day. And so Jesus says, you know, we're going to feed these people. What do you have? And they finally search through the crowd and they come back with a little lad's lunch, two fish, and how many loaves? Five loaves. Out of that, Jesus prays and multiplies the fish and the loaves. And the Bible tells us by the time it's all said and done, 5,000 men were fed, not counting women and children. So could have been upwards to eight, ten, twelve thousand 10, 12,000 people there. We know there's at least one little boy. He had his lunch, right? So all these people are there. He feeds all of these folks. And to make uh, make it, you know, true that he's the Messiah and to help the disciples to come to some understanding of who he is, he tells the guys, go collect what's left. Isn't it interesting that they collect 12 basketfuls, 12 guys, 12, to me, that just speaks volumes. You know, Jesus is like, I'm gonna prove a point to you guys. You're worried about 200 denarii. Listen, I can do anything. And he does. He creates lunch for everybody. And by the way, if you go back and read the text, it said that they didn't just have a little nibble. They ate till they were satisfied. That's a whole lot of food for me, all right? I mean, that's like the two fish and the five loaves, amen? I mean, I, I went to Red Lobster the other night and, you know, the girl did me right. She sat down, and we were a bunch of us on the table. She sat down two baskets of those cheddar biscuits right in front of me. I was like, thank you, Jesus, amen? So that's a lot of food. So here they collect all this food. Now, Jesus does this miracle and the crowd recognizes something different the bible says that the crowd realized that he was a prophet whom moses talked about the messiah and what do they want to do in their warped understanding of what the messiah was going to be they want to take jesus by force and make him the king jesus understands what's going on in new men's hearts and jesus withdrew from them went to a private place to pray sent his disciples on the boat to the other side of the sea And the next miracle happens. Jesus walks on water and calms the sea. To me, the best part of that whole miracle is that when Jesus gets in the boat, (laughs) they're already at land. That is so awesome to me because it reminds me of Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. Do you remember in that part, they're rowing the boat, rowing the boat, and they're going down that tunnel and, you know, and they're like, this has got to stop. And, and the Willy Wonka goes, you're right, stop the boat. And when they stop the boat, they're at the door they needed to be at. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's what Jesus did. Jesus gets in the boat and there they are at the shore. That is awesome to me. I, I'm sorry, I just it's awesome. You don't seem to be impressed. I'm impressed. So, so what happens is Jesus is now at Capernaum. He's on the other side and the crowds, they realize he's gone. So they go looking for him. And they find him. And they say to Jesus, Where in the world have you been? They're looking for him. And Jesus says to them, You're not following me because of the signs or the miracles. You're following me because I fed you. Think about that. You give somebody something to eat, you really impact their life. Amen? Am I right? And so they were fed. And so the miracle meant more to them because their bellies were made full. And so Jesus says to them, you are following me because I gave you something to eat. Not because you're impressed that I'm the Messiah. Not because I did the sign or the wonders or the miracles. Then he says to them a very interesting statement. He says, do not labor for that which fades for this temporary bread. I mean, they had used energy to find Jesus. They had walked around the sea to go and to find Jesus. And he says, do not labor for this kind of bread. This bread doesn't satisfy. I mean, this kind of bread will fill your belly up. But listen, in five, six hours, you're gonna be hungry again. At least I am. I don't know if you are, but I am. And so he says, don't satisfy yourself on this temporary stuff. But he says, the spiritual food, seek out the spiritual food. Now, the point of the text that Jesus is going to do is he's going to drive their question of where have you been? And he's going to drive that to prove that he is the true manna that came down from heaven. That he indeed is this bread of life, the title of the message for this morning. Now, I don't have time to preach all of the text, so you just got to bear with me this morning. As Jesus is giving us the ideas, helping us to understand the truth that he is this bread of life, he begins over in chapter 6, verse 30, to begin to pound that truth into the hearts of the people. Now let me just summarize verses 30 through verse 50 because I don't have time to preach all those verses and I really want to get to what he offers this morning in verse 51 and following. So Jesus in verse 30 through verse 50 is, is mo- moving us along to prove and to demonstrate that he is indeed this bread that has come down from heaven. He is saying, I am the bread of life. He says it five times. Five times he reminds us that he was sent from the Father down. So Jesus keeps over and over in verses 30 through 50 reminding us that he is indeed this bread of life that has come down. And so as Jesus is talking about being the bread of life and he's sharing with them that he's the bread of life, the Jewish people who are listening to him get upset They don't like the idea that Jesus is, first of all, using the I am statement because that's for God alone. That's not for him. And so when Jesus talks about being the bread of life, coming down from heaven, sent by the father, do the father's will, they get a little upset. And they say, is this not Jesus? Is his, his daddy not Joseph? We know his mom and dad. Who's this guy think he is? How is he saying that he is this bread of life? He's not the bread of life. He can't be from God. He's human. And so Jesus has to remind them again, I am the bread of life sent from the father to come down and do his will. And the will of my father is what? That people would believe that he is the bread of life. Now, inside that statement, the reason why I don't have time to preach it all day because inside those verses 30 through 50, there is this argumentation that Jesus gives about God's responsibility unto salvation and man's responsibility in salvation. God is the giver of salvation. Man is the responder, right? God is the one who saves. We, by faith, trust. And so when he begins to talk about that, we don't have time to talk about all those verses today. But so Jesus is trying to drive the point home to those people. Hey, you need to understand that the same manna that God gave in the Old Testament that the people ate there, it it didn't last. It was just there in order to supply their need daily, seven or really six days a week on the Six days, they collected twice as much, right? So it was there to supply a physical need, but God has changed today. God has sent you this manna, not to the nation of Israel to keep you fed every day, but to give you spiritual nourishment. And the verses, listen, when he talks about giving of himself and them receiving of him, they are an heiress tense verb, meaning that it's a one-time action. I don't need to be saved over and over and over and over and over again. When I come to Jesus Christ and he saves me and I repent of my sin and by faith receive this blessed gospel, listen, it's a one-time deal, amen? I don't need to have it happen again and again and again. Listen, the manna that came the first time was necessary every day. All right, you get my point? So Jesus is giving the text. He's helping them to understand and he's drawing this down to a conclusion saying, and I wanted to begin reading here In the text of chapter 6, I want to begin reading at the end of his argument in verse 46. Listen to what he says. He says, not that anyone has seen the Father. He says, except he who is from God. And he says, he has seen the Father. So Jesus is winding down his argument where he began. I am sent from the Father to do the Father's will. And he says, now let me remind you, as I'm closing up, as I'm reminding you that I am the bread of life, he said, let me remind you, I'm from the Father. You guys don't know. Why? Because you haven't been there. You haven't been to heaven, but let me tell you something. I have. You know, I mean, the the folks did not, the Jews did not like the fact that Jesus was claiming to be God. They did not like that. They didn't like the fact that he was claiming to be the son of God. So he says, nobody knows except, he said, he who is from God, which he is. He says in verse 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Now Jesus, notice what he's beginning to do. He's beginning to make a transition. So he first tells them, I am the bread of life and explains that to them. Now he's saying, if you want bread that satisfies if you want to labor for that, which is permanent rather than temporary, I'm your man. You catch that? Now, listen to what he says. Go back to verse 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am, verse 48, I am the bread of life. He's summarizing. I am the bread of life. He's bringing it down to the, the next point. Verse 49, the fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they're dead. He said, this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. So the manna, listen, by the way, in that text, the people said, Moses gave us manna. Moses didn't give him manna, God did. God supplied the manna. Now God is supplying not physical food, spiritual food. So just as the manna came from God, I came from God. I am the bread of life. Really, technically, he says, I am God. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. So not only did he come from God, but he is God. He and the Father are one. They are joined together. You cannot separate God and the Father, or Jesus and the Father. You cannot separate them, not once. And so as he's summarizing, as he's coming down to the end, he says in verse 50, this is the bread which comes down from heaven. He says that one may eat of it and not die. So what are you going to do? What is your response going to be? Jesus sort of winding it down and saying, guys, listen, I am that true bread. I am this bread of life. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond to me? And that's what verse 51 through 59 carries us to. It carries us to the place where Jesus is saying, now it's time to act. Now it's time to respond. Now it's time to decide, am I the bread of life? And if I am, are you going to partake? Are you going to eat? And Jesus, by the way, is going to use some terminology that is going to turn the disciples even up on their heads. And they're not going to like it. And some of these, by the way, that are going to leave him in verse 61 are those disciples, by the way, who never were truly born again people. All right. So they leave him because they can't stand the fact that Jesus is making an ultimatum here. And by the way, I want you to hear the ultimatum up front from my mouth right now. There is no other way. Jesus is it. There is no other way. All right? So Jesus will give that ultimatum in the text. So look how he does it. And I want to begin in verse 51. And we're going to walk through a couple of verses together. Then we're going to partake together of the Lord's Supper as we prepare our hearts and our minds. So the first thing Jesus hits on in verse 51 is how is all of this possible? How can I be saved? How is it that I can be redeemed and have this bread of life that will give me everlasting life. And it's simply one word, sacrifice. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 51. He says, I am the living bread. Now it's not just the bread of life, but he is the living bread. In other words, he has the power, the ability to give life. We notice this to be the case because at least on two occasions, we know that he rose two people from the dead, a little girl and Lazarus. So we know that he's the giver of life. He told Lazarus' sisters, what? I am life. <laughs> he is the life giver. And now he's talking about this bread of life. If you eat this bread, you will live forever. You eat the manna like the father's ate, you're going to die. But if you eat this bread, you will live forever. And this bread, notice verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread, listen to what he says, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh. Now, that's what really upsets the people because I want you to think about, you know, Jesus referring to himself as flesh. And he says, and I give my flesh, which he said I shall give for the life of the world. See, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, right? So here Jesus is saying that I am this bread of life and I am going to give of my very self. It is going to cost me myself upon a cross. I am going to be broken. He is foreshadowing his death. He is telling them that this bread is going to be broken for them. Think about this. We're getting ready to celebrate the Lord's table. Now we don't take and physically break loaves of bread in our church. We give out these little dry wafers, right? But in in Jesus' time, when they had the Lord's supper, what did Jesus do? He took bread and he broke it. What a wonderful symbol of the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Now we don't mean broken by bones being broken. What we mean is the torment of his body that he went through because there wasn't a bone broken in his body. Amen? That's what the Bible says. So we're talking about the torment of his flesh, the torment of the nails in his hands and his feet, the crown of thorns on his brow. Think about the whipping that he received before he even went to the cross. And Jesus said, this bread that I'm going to give you is going to cost me everything. It's going to cost me a breaking. And so he reminds us that it's through a sacrifice. If you do not have the sacrifice of Christ, you do not have salvation. Amen. Amen? You cannot be right with God outside of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that right there, all Jesus had to say was that, and that would already begin to inflame the people because They, again, don't want to see him as the bread of life. They don't want to see him as God. They they did not want a Messiah who would die on a cross. They wanted a victorious, kingly Messiah who would walk and sit on the throne in Jerusalem and take over the Roman Empire and conquest the world. That's what they wanted. And so Jesus is saying and reminding them, listen, it's going to cost me everything, the sacrifice that I'm going to make for you. But notice he says in verse 51, you've got to look at it. He says, I am this living bread which came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, listen, he will live forever. See, this is the bread that when it is broken causes eternal life. Again, if you think about food being partook, if I eat food, it's going to sustain me for a few hours. Listen, I've learned by reading that you can go many days without food. Amen? You go a lot of days without food. And so here, Jesus is saying. You can go without food if you wish, but eventually you're going to die of starvation. Eventually somewhere along the line, if you don't eat physical food, you're going to die. Jesus is saying, if you reject the spiritual food, you will not have eternal life. Now, please don't misunderstand the point of the Bible. When the Bible talks about eternal life, it's referring to the fact that you and I who have eternal life will spend eternity In the presence of God the Father, the Son Jesus, and the Spirit of God for all of eternity in heaven. Amen? So that is a blessed hope that we have as Christians. But please understand that everybody will live eternal. Some of us to eternal life in the presence of God. Some of us eternally in a place called hell. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just trying to make the reality understood that what Jesus is offering here is life in himself. He is offering himself for the covering of your sin. He is saying, your way of doing things, your ideas of how you think you can be right with God are insufficient. They do not work. They they will not satisfy the heart and the mind of God. The only thing that will satisfy God is my death, my sacrifice, and you will have to receive it. And if you do receive that, then by faith, listen, you receive eternal life. You with me this morning? And so Jesus begins to talk about the sacrifice and it starts to make people a little queasy because notice the text in verse 52, he said, and the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves. I love that word quarrel because it's a great term, but it really means in the Greek language, it means they began to have a strong debate. They began to literally fight over what Jesus is saying. You know, you can just imagine how the people began to say, you know, well, is this really what he, what he means? You know, how can he say this? And other people were sort of defending him a little bit and they get into this big fight, this big argumentation over what Jesus is saying, I love it because they're just turning in on themselves. And so it says that they quarrel among themselves, saying, "How can this man give us his flesh to eat?" Listen, we're not cannibals. We don't want to. They totally missed the point. Jesus wasn't talking about literally eating his flesh. What he was talking about is accepting him, surrendering their life to the sacrifice of Christ. Realizing I'm hopeless. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I need him. And so Jesus is going to answer them in verse 53 with even stronger words. And uh, they are not going to like as he talks more about his sacrifice. But here, now he invites them. Listen, he invites them to come and not only eat his flesh, but to drink his blood. (laughs) Don't you love it? Verse 52. And so the Jews quarrel among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, now when Jesus says that, you better listen. Most assuredly, I say to you, he's saying, Open your ears, take out the stoppers, and listen carefully, because I'm about to tell you something. And so he says, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. <laughs> And drink his blood, you have no life in you. So the first thing is, he says, the sacrifice that I'm going to make for you is not only my broken body, but my blood being poured out. And listen, if you reject this, you reject eternal life. You will not have eternal life. And there are people every day rejecting Jesus, not coming to him because their way is better. Their ideas are better, their religion's better, whatever it may be. We got excuse after excuse after excuse in our sinfulness and people are not coming to Jesus. And here these people are not going to come, these Jews in this text, because they do not like all this flesh eating, blood drinking talk. They just do not like it. And I know even in modern church, I read an article about four years ago where a guy wrote an article about if you want to reach people, don't talk about blood in your church. Well, let me tell you something. If we don't have the blood, you're not going to have salvation. We can't throw the blood away carelessly. And so Jesus is saying, unless you eat his flesh and drink his blood, in other words, unless you receive him, when you are eating something, you receive it into your mouth, right? You take it in. You can look at food all day long, but it's not going to fill you unless you grab it, bite it, chew it, swallow it, and put it into your system. It does you no good. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, You may look at me and you may hear what I'm saying, but until it permeates your heart, until the spirit of God draws you to this truth, you can just look and hear, but you'll never ever be satisfied until you eat. And it's when you eat and it's when you drink, you're satisfied. And you are one who receives the opposite of verse 53. You receive eternal life. And so Jesus is calling them and he says in the text, Continuing on in verse 54, so whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And then notice what he says in verse 54, this blessed hope. Those who are his, he says, those who eat and drink, he says, I will raise him up at the last day. That's the resurrection. Don't you love it? That Jesus would go all the way back to John 11, as I said earlier, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus said, if you believe in me, guess what? You will never die. And those who believe in me, though they die, yet shall they live. That is, if we die before Jesus comes again, I have no worry. Because he's going to raise me out of the grave. And Jesus says on that last day, listen, when it's all said and done, when the consummation of heaven begins, listen, all those in Christ will be raised up. Amen, this is my hope. I don't know about you, this is my hope. This world is not always pleasant. This world is not always joyful. But compared to what I'm gonna receive, I can deal with it. Amen, I can bear through some things when I keep my eyes on the future, keep my eyes that Jesus is coming back to get me one day and I'm gonna be with him for eternity. And so Jesus reminds these people, listen, not only will you be saved, not only will I rescue you, but listen, on that last day, You have nothing to worry about. I'm going to fully redeem you and we're going to go to heaven together. How awesome is that going to be? And then in verse 55 and 56, notice how he goes on. He says, for my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He's just driving home. These people are just furious. He's driving the point home and he says in verse 56, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I am. Here's the blessed truth. The blessed truth is his sacrifice was for us. When we are called by God and we receive Christ by faith and we become born again. Listen, we have the promise of eternal life. We have that promise of the future resurrection. But listen, the most important thing is the abundant life we have now. And it's found in a union in relationship with Jesus Christ. When people say, are you a Baptist? They say, no, I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a follower of Christ. I am in a relationship. Amen. I'm in a relationship with Jesus. And it's a real, living, breathing relationship every day of my life. Why? Because that's what he died for, right? That I would have a relationship with him. And here he says in verse 56 that we have this blessed joining together, this union that comes about. He is in me and I am in him. Right in the margin of your Bible, John 15. He's going to explain it more there for the people to understand. And so here we have this blessed truth given to us. Folks, I don't know... Where you're at. I don't know what's on your mind right now, but if you're a believer in Christ, I tell you, you ought to be rejoicing in your heart right now. You ought to be thankful that you have Jesus in your life, united to Him. He is in you. You are in Him. What security is that? That is awesome. Thank you, Lord, that He would not only give us eternal life, and by the way, eternal life's Himself, and so He would give us this eternal life. And so Jesus sort of summarizes as He finishes up verse 57. In verse 58, notice how he comes to a a point of conclusion. He says, as the living Father sent me. See, God's not dead. Amen. We sing that song, but he's not dead. He says, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So here's his authority, right? His authority stems from the Father. He says, as I live, the Father lives. He said, and so he who feeds on me, those who eat, those who receive me, he says, He says, will live because of me. So there is this eternal life given by the direct power, by the direct authority of Jesus Christ himself. Listen, I don't have to wish it. I have to live in the hope of it because it is a reality that Jesus died to give me eternal life. And he goes on in the text of verse 58. This is the bread. This is the true bread. This is the living bread. This is the bread that God is sending right now. It is the bread that God is offering even today. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate in the manna or ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead, but he who eats this bread will live forever. The great call of Jesus, the great invitation of Jesus. Jesus gives us all the information. Then he gives the invitation in verse 58. This is the bread. What will you do with it? Will you eat The bread, will you drink the blood of Christ or will you continue in your sinfulness and pass it by? Well, if the spirit don't draw you, I know the answer to that question, but if the spirit is drawing, don't tarry. Run, run to the cross and be saved. If he's calling, run to the cross and be saved and be saved today. And these things the Bible says he taught In the synagogue, can you imagine how upset the priest must have been to hear Jesus teaching about such things? So not only is it the people listening, now is the religious leaders listening, and they rejected all that Jesus said. Well, my friends, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, we come to celebrate that bread of life, Jesus Christ. We're going to partake of the bread, and we're going to partake of his blood by symbols. The symbols of the little cracker we'll eat and the symbol of the grape juice that we will drink. But please don't miss the point of what Jesus is saying. First of all, Jesus is not in this text giving us an order of the Lord's table. He is not saying that this bread becomes literally the body of Jesus or the wine or excuse me, the grape juice becomes literally the blood of Jesus as you partake. They are simply symbols. They are simply their to give us a reflection, a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. They offer no grace in and of themselves. The grace has already been done through Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. The grace is already in your life if you're born again in Jesus Christ. You've already received that grace. But no, let our our hearts reflect on the fact that when we partake of the bread, that Jesus was the bread of life, who was broken, that we might be saved, that we may have eternal life. That as we partake of the cup, that we remember that it was through his blood sacrifice that our sins have been washed away and that we now stand clean before God the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus the Son. That's why we come to the table. And so as we get ready to prepare ourselves, I want to read just a quick text out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, he says, whoever eats of this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a man therefore examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, he says, in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So as we come, we're going to have a time of reflection because here's what Paul says. We don't want to come to the table in an unworthy manner. What's an unworthy manner? Well, it would be coming and just, we're going through the motions. This is what we do once a quarter. And so we're just going through the motions. We never want to treat lightly the Lord's table. It is not a time just going through the the motions. We don't want to go through thinking, well, we've participated in some spiritual act today by which there's been some grace brought into my life. Listen, that is not the Lord's table. We don't want to come to this table prideful and arrogant. Listen, when he talks about being unworthy, doesn't mean that I necessarily have all my life together because listen, I can tell you right now, Mike Foreman don't have it all together. But one thing I'm very aware of is that I don't. And I'm very aware that not only do I not have it all together, but there are times where I say, Lord, if it wasn't for you, I'd just give up. And so coming in an unworthy manner doesn't necessarily mean you're not struggling in your life that you realize, you know, Lord, I I know that I'm not as close as I need to be. I'm not walking in stride as I need to be. But it's realizing that. It's realizing I am not where God wants me to be. And so come with that attitude. Don't come with arrogance and pride and say, I got it all together. It's other people who got it wrong. Does that make sense? so that when we come to the table, we come realizing in a worthy manner the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.